Welcome back. I'm Lance Earl, and I'm excited to have you here for another episode, which we call The Mormon Missionary. Now, this is kind of a, a different type of a episode. It's based on an experience that I just had, and I'm going to be pretty bold. I'm going to not pull many punches. You see them all over the place. These are the boys in the white shirts and ties and black name tags. They call themselves elders. And they are to be commended for giving up two years of their lives, two full years. But two years to do what? And two years to to be what? That's really the question for today. I'll be right back. Have you ever longed for a better way to reach out to your Mormon friends and neighbors? A way that could share the gospel with them without causing offense? You see, so many people try, and so often, the more they try, the more people's minds are closed. As a married couple, Lance and Grace spent 40 years, 40 years in the wilderness of Mormonism. During that time, they served the church in high levels faithfully. What they didn't know then is that God was preparing them so that they might come to you and share ways and insights on how to reach out to your Mormon friends and neighbors in a way that won't cause offense. They call themselves representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. They claim to hold the holy Melchizedek priesthood. Now, you see, they get that from Hebrews 7.17, which says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. <laughs> it's crazy because as a Mormon, I was told that I had that same high Melchizedek priesthood. And they said that it was the same priesthood. That Jesus holds. That's the same priesthood, according to the Mormon church, that he used to say, let there be light, and light sprang across the universe. Let there be this, let there be that. This power that I have, according to the Mormon church, and that I share with Jesus, making him and I kind of the same thing. But what are they really, really at the core level, what are they? They're just kids. They come out when they're 18 or 19 years old. They're just kids. They've had a few years of indoctrination in seminary, in high school. They're just kids who have never known anything but the Mormon church. They're, they're just kids posing as elders. I went to a page on... Bible Hub to get some information about what an elder is, or at least ought to be. I found a page that talked about this. It referenced Strong's Concordance, the NAS, Exhaustive Concordance, Thayer's Greek Lexicon, and Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. They were all in unity. They said the Greek word is episkopos. I, I hope I said that right. Episkopos? I, I don't know. I'm not very good at that. But unitedly, they all agreed that it means superintendent 
or overseer. And the majority of Bible translations, I looked at some 50 translations, the majority of them <laughs> represented kapiskopos. I guess that's how you say it. I don't know. Uh, but they translated it to be overseer. A lesser number of Bible translations translated this Greek word to be elder or bishop or even church leader. On this Bible Hub page, it kind of boiled everything down, and, and it said this, Though in some contexts, the Strong's word 1985, episkopos, I'm saying it a different way, I think, still. Anyway, uh, has been regarded traditionally as a position of authority. But in reality, the focus is upon the responsibility for caring for others. And so the bottom line is that this speaks of someone with authority. Now let's keep in mind that the elder claims the same power and authority that Jesus himself has. That's an awful lot to put on an 18-year-old boy with only a small amount of indoctrination. With the title of elder, certainly they have some responsibility. Certainly there is responsibility to care for people, and that also fits. 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about an elder or a bishop or a church leader or an overseer, depending on how you want to translate it, talks about their qualifications, starting in verse 2. It says, and I'm reading from the King James, it says, A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife. And so these boys that you see running around 18, 19, where's their wives? It goes on to say they must be vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and apt to teach. I want you to remember this one, apt to teach. They have the ability to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's see if this holds up in our examination. Verse 3, not given to one, no striker, means, which means no violence, not greedy, uh, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Verse 4, one that rules well in his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. What? He's not married. How does he have children? Good question. And then we're going to skip five going down to verse six. Not a novice. Not a novice. And then it goes on to say, lest they become filled with pride and come under the condemnation of the devil. Not a novice. 18. Minimal training. No biblical understanding not a novice, but there they are. Grit and Grace is our story. It is the story of rescue from Mormon chains and redemption in Christ Jesus. Check the link in the show notes below. What prompted this episode is a visit I recently had to Costco. As I walked in, I saw seven Mormon missionaries sitting at two separate tables enjoying their lunch. I went up to the table that had just three missionaries, and I began to speak with them. I 
talk to them about the importance of having the right gospel, because if the gospel we have is wrong, the God we have is certainly wrong. If the gospel we have is wrong and the God we have is wrong, then the salvation we hope for is a fable. It's just not going to happen. Now, they agreed with that. I asked them if they knew where the gospel could be found and, and defined in Scripture, and they, they had no idea at all. So I took them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The first four verses, verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. This is an important point. This is Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, making an apostolic declaration. I declare unto you the gospel. That's important. He goes on to say, and wherein you stand. We stand on this gospel. This is the hill we die on. This is where we plant our flag. This is where we draw a line in the sand, and we will not be moved. He reminds us that we need to believe this, cling to this, trust in this, lest we believe in vain. Verse 3, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. So according to all the Old Testament prophecy, all the things that spoke of Jesus, of the coming Redeemer, of salvation, that only he could bring. All of these things are fulfilled in Jesus, who died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, verse 4, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, Paul makes us this promise that we can be saved if we believe these things, live according to them, just trust in Jesus with all of our hearts. Now, these missionaries, they were quick very quick to say, yeah, that's the gospel. Yes, we think that's amazing. Yes, that is the best, best news. Because gospel translates to good news, to good tidings. And they agreed that that is the gospel, and it's very, very good news. I explained that is where I have a problem, and that's why I stopped to talk with you today, I said. You see, according to True to the Faith, which is a, a Mormon instruction manual, according to their website, it says, In its fullness, the gospel includes all the doctrines, principles, laws, ordinance, and covenants necessary for us to be exalted in the celestial kingdom. And so I asked these three missionaries sitting at this table, Can you make a list for me of every one of these doctrines, principles, laws, ordinance, and covenants? And they looked at me very confused, very troubled, very much without a response. Now, at that point, uh, one of the four elders who was sitting at the adjoining table got up and he came over and he said, I know you. I think I know you. And I said, oh, I, sorry, I don't recognize you. And he said, yeah, I know you. He said, are you familiar with stake president Rock Perman? I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know him. See, he is the stake president here in the area where I live. And the thing about Rock is he's a very interesting man. He, uh, he is the man who placed guards at every door at the Mormon chapel in Rockland 
They've been there for years. As far as I know, they're still there every Sunday. He is the man that put them there, and he told the people that they were necessary to keep me from coming into the church and using violence to hurt small children. You'll see a link in my show notes that point to another audio file that proves what I just said to be absolutely true. He is the father of a young man that I just recently met. I would guess somewhere 16 to 18 years old. I was out about town and I saw a pickup truck with the hood up and and some teenage boys underneath it trying to figure something out. And I just said, hey, you guys, you having some trouble? You okay? And this one young man who turned out to be the son of State President Rock Perman came busting out of there and waded into me in ways that I have not been attacked in a very, very long time. He was rude. He was disrespectful. He was absolutely arrogant. And all I could think at first was, my gosh, I need to take this kid behind the woodshed He needs a come-to-Jesus moment, and I thought he'll never get it from his dad because his dad doesn't know Jesus, but he needs it. He needs to, ah, I need to take him out back and just, well, you know what I'm talking about. And then after a day or so of being really frustrated, really angry with this young man, I, I changed my opinion. I thought, oh my gosh, this kid is to be pitied. I, I need to have... Oh, I, I need to have grace, offer grace and give grace to this young man. You see, if he was 18 at the time of our encounter, he would have been, oh, I don't know, 11 or 12 when I left the church. He never would have known anything about me other than I am the man that requires, that makes it necessary to have guards at the door. His father would have poisoned him day after day and year after year until he could do nothing but hate me. I felt bad for him then. I feel bad for him still. He's probably a very, very good young man whose heart has been made hard and poisoned because of a wicked, wicked father. Likewise, this missionary who came to me said, I know you. Are you familiar with State President Rock Perman? You know, he came with so much anger, so much vitriol, so much disrespect. He said, I know you. Now, I don't remember ever meeting him, but apparently this same State President who has poisoned the mind of his young son has done the same thing to this young missionary. He had to hate me. He couldn't do anything but hate me. And that is so sad. This reminded me uh, of a passage in Acts 13. It's Acts 13, verse 11. And it's about uh, Paul and Barnabas when they were at Antioch, I believe. Uh, anyway, it's Acts 13, 50. If it's a different city, you can correct me later. But, and it says... But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas. I would submit to you that this state president, Rock Perman, is either standing in the place of the Jews that caused honorable women and chief men to go out and blacken and muddy the name of an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or he is 
one of the chief men in our little town of Rockland, Idaho, who does everything he can to speak against, to raise suspicion and hatred, because that's what he is. And so this young son was filled with hatred. Likewise, this young missionary was filled with hatred. And he said, I know you. Then he said to the three at the table where I sat, he said, it's time to go. We got to go. And they all dutifully rose from their tables. So I assume this missionary who was speaking was the one who was more senior among them. They rose from the table and began to walk away. And as they walked away, I, I felt kind of sad. All I had done was shared scripture with them and asked them a legitimate question. Well, I watched them walk away, and then I turned, and there were still three missionaries sitting at the other table. So I went and sat down next to them. I confirmed that they had heard my conversation at the other table with the other missionaries. They said they had. And so I asked, what about you? Can you make a list of all these things that are necessary, all the doctrines, principles, laws, ordinance, and covenants? Can you do that? And he said, this one missionary that I was addressing, he said, I'm good. I'm good? I responded, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can't write down a list of the requirements of your gospel? Therefore, you can't know if you're being saved, and you tell me you're good? How is that even possible? He said, you're not worth it. (laughs) You're not worth it. I said, you, a representative of Jesus Christ, tasked with sharing your gospel with all people, and yet you will not discuss the gospel with me even when I come to you and ask if we can? You believe that I am a son of God, your heavenly father, and the brother of Jesus. When did Jesus ever look on a sinner and say, you're not worth it? At the cross, did he say, it is finished, except for those who are just not (laughs) worth it? I, he had no answer. There was just no answer. So I turned to the second missionary at the table And asked, what about you? Can you list every one of these requirements, every doctrine, principle, law, ordinance, and covenant? Can you do it? His response was interesting. He said, I'm just trying to eat my lunch. I asked, is your lunch more important than your salvation or mine? He repeated, I'm I'm just trying to eat my lunch. Basically, he was just saying, go go away and let me eat. (laughs) I had a similar response for him. You are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. When did he ever dismiss anyone who was seeking him? When did he ever say, man, I'm eating here. Leave me alone. He said, well, I can list all those requirements of our gospel. He said, I'm just not repaired. So I took him to 1 Peter 3.15 that says that we must have a ready answer to anyone who asked a reason for the hope that is in us. I said, you are a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. You hold the holy priesthood, the same priesthood that Jesus holds, and you are unprepared to give an answer for the hope that is in you? 
<laughs> the last missionary at the table, he responded with a very disrespectful smirk and a chuckle, which is the only thing he had done all the way through our discussion. I turned to him and I said, and you, we are talking about eternal things and the principles of salvation. And you laugh? He laughed again and got a high five from the missionary across the table. Now the hateful one, the one that came and said, I know you, he came back and he whispered in the ear of one of the missionaries. And they said, we've got to go. We've got to go. You wouldn't believe how many times I've heard this. Missionaries want to talk with you, and they will talk with you as long as is necessary, as long as they control the narrative. But if they find out you have any information that places their beliefs in doubt, they got to go. They just got to go. As they were getting up from the table, I reminded them of DNC 71. It says that, that even at mealtimes... Or even when you think someone's not worth it, you are commanded to speak with everyone. Anytime, it says, anytime, in public or in private, it promises them that they will confound me and put me to shame. I says, guys, this is a commandment to you, and it doesn't say anytime except for mealtime. It doesn't say anytime except when you're not prepared, and it doesn't say Anytime except for when you think the person you're speaking to is just not worth it. As they walked away, I, I watched them go, and I was really quite sad. As I said just a moment ago, they're only able to converse with the biblically ignorant. If you know anything about the Word of God, if you know anything about Jesus Christ, if you know anything about the Bible, if you have even, ah, well, any knowledge at all, they can't speak with you. They will feel challenged. They will find themselves in a place where they have no answer, and they'll run away. Where does this come from? Where does this kind of arrogance and disrespect and superiority in the face of their own ignorance, in the face of their own inability to respond to basic biblical questions. Where does this come from? Well, it comes from above. Not above as in from God. It comes from above in the hierarchy of the church. Some years ago, I sat with this stake president, Rock Perman. He like those young missionaries, demeaned and disrespected me in every way he could. And he did this, and he got more offensive and more aggressive and more uh, just unreasonable, more ugly, as he tried to defend his indefensible church of contradiction. And that's really what it is. It's a church of contradiction. And so he can't defend it. He, like them, prefers to hide and be like the chief men of Acts 13, who rip and tear at men, but only when he is safely out of sight and out of earshot. But face to face, no. Face to face, <laughs> no. So my message is to everyone, but specifically right now to Rock Perman. You have poisoned the mind of your young son. You have poisoned the mind of this missionary who has in turn poisoned the mind of other missionaries. And then you 
send them out to do what you yourself cannot do. That is pathetic. That is pathetic for someone who claims to be a man of God. You are responsible for the corruption of these young men. You are, you are responsible for the hardness of their hearts. You are responsible for their arrogance and their disrespect and their absolute ignorance with regard to all things that pertain to God. I pray that you will come to the one true God and allow the truth to make you free. I just pray that you will. Now, in closing, two years ago, approximately, I sat with this stake president and one of his counselors. And like I said earlier, he became very demeaning. He, he complained and he whined and he attacked my character. And, but what he never did was he never responded to a biblical question. And so after our meeting, I went home and reported another podcast And I'm going to close today by inserting a challenge, a challenge that I closed my former podcast with, a challenge that has been out there for two full years, a challenge that remains unanswered. In closing, I would like to to speak to the members of the American Falls Stake who are under State President Rock Perman. I would like to speak to the high school age uh, young men and young women who are part of his seminary class and to those who take institute classes from this man, President Rock Perman. You see, Doctrine and Covenant 71 is very clear. It states without equivocation that people like stake President Rock Perman must meet me publicly or privately anywhere, anytime and that they will defend their faith, and that they will confound me by the power of God that is in them. Well, here and now, I am asking, but I've asked this before, anywhere, anytime, in front of your ward, in front of your stake, in front of your seminary, in front of your institute classes, anywhere, I will meet Stake President Rock Perman. We will open those books that you hold to be scripture, and we will search for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will find the God that Mormonism denies. He knows it. And that's why he will not accept this invitation. But to the people of the American Falls Stake, to the people in institute and seminary, ask him. Go to him and ask this question. Why will you not according to Doctrine and Covenant 71, meet with Lance Earl and defend our faith. You ask him that question. You ask him that question and you see if he has an answer.